But people used to say to me, oh, is, is, is he called Jude after Jude Law? And I said, no, because Jude Law is actually called Dave. Fuck off, is like he? It? Yeah. Jude Law, if I see you, I'm pulling you up, mate. I've thought that was your name this whole time. Hello, I'm Sean McDonald, and you're listening to Blethered. My guest is Davinia Taylor. Davinia tells me about her acting and TV career after starting out in Hollyoaks in the 90s. We talk about alcoholism, addiction and changing direction in life. And Davinia explains how she went from permanent party girl to health and fitness fanatic, which has culminated in not one but two Sunday Times number one best-selling books. And as always, there's plenty more. If you enjoy this episode, feel free to share it. Cheers. This episode is brought to you by Debt Experts Don't Fret About Debt. If you're struggling with debt and you would like a free chat with an impartial advisor to discuss your options or to see how you can lower your monthly repayments towards debt, then visit don'tforgetaboutdebt.net forward slash plethered. You can also listen to my episode with Don't Forget About Debt Senior Debt Advisor Tommy Gallagher where we discuss taking back control of your debt and the various solutions available. Don't forget about debt, offer all statutory debt solutions in Scotland, helping you to make an informed choice. So take the first step to dealing with your debt today. Free advice is also available from the Money Advice Service. We're recording from London, joined by Davinia Taylor. Thanks very much for coming straight from work as well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the airtime. Yeah, um, I always like to get a sense of such a cliche in it, but... Look at somebody's childhood. Your mom, your dad, Alan. Your mum, Lynn. What was? Do you do you have siblings? No, no. Well, no. I didn't. I didn't growing up. So um, let me see. Mum and dad are from um, council estate in Croxteth, in uh, Liverpool. Mum, um, they lived opposite each other. My dad was uh, in like a two up, two down, and my mum was in a block of flats with her sisters and brother. My dad's from a big family as well, and they got married when she turned eighteen. She was a hairdresser. My dad used to just, well, jack of all trades, really, you know. Um, quite literally. Quite literally. Um, all sorts of um, jobs. But my mum was always a hairdresser. Both of them highly motivated to get themselves out of their uh, sort mm. of situation. And they did. They did. They uh, they, they moved towards Wigan. And uh, my mum eventually got enough money together to open a salon and then back my dad, who I think I was about three or something when he started. He, I think he was sat on the loo. He was sat on the loo and uh, didn't have a job at the time. Uh, he, used to, he used to sell encyclopedias door-to-door, that sort of thing. Uh, per- I mean, Pergamon Press, quite a famous company. Yeah, yeah but with, I yeah. mean, and he used to sell Gillette razors as well. He was a really good salesman. He can mm-hmm. literally sell anything. He's got the gift of the gab, beautiful blue eyes, proper scouser. <laughs> but um, basically, I think he was sat on the loo one day and he shouted down to me, Mum, Lynn, Lynn, I've no toilet roll. And he went, that's it. That's recession proof. That's what I'm going to do. And he started getting sort of like seconds as in like end of line toilet rolls and selling them cheap to people Mm. like Ronnie Morrison, who's like the owner of Home Bargains. So this is way, way back in the day before Home Bargains was a massive, was the biggest retailer. There is a family owned retailer in the UK. Um, So, yeah, so Tommy Morris was just like basically a kid back then as well. So, yeah, he he came up with those guys and, and eventually... Um, he said he got, I think it was back in the 80s when Thatcher was putting like money out there for new towns like Skelmersdale, mm. 
which is in between Liverpool and Manchester, so to speak, on the map. And um, it was it's like, you know, it's just got roundabouts, a bit like Milton Keynes, you know. And they were giving away grants to give off land for factories. And my dad took advantage of that with my mum's money. And they worked together and they built a company called AM Paper, which is Alan Murphy Paper, of course, my dad's <laughs> name. And uh, yeah, they, um, they built a really successful company and employed over a thousand people. And then, um, yeah, they sold out. Uh, my, my dad moved away. Um, mum and I were left. And um, I changed my name, actually, because my dad left us, uh, to my mum's maiden name, Taylor, on oh, that yeah, one. Because I was... I wondered that. Yeah, I was, I was 17 at the time, and that's what I do. I kick right off. So yeah. I completely <laughs> disowned him. But um, we're on talking terms now. But, my, yeah, my mum passed away um, coming up for 10 years now. Mm. And uh, I've still got her name, which is nice. But... Uh, yeah, my, my dad's not, he's got a new wife, Wendy, and I've got two lovely brothers actually, right, okay. Lucas and Nathan. Lucas is seventeen, and Nathan's twelve. So that's quite a complex. Yeah, uh, so it's just the usual. Yeah, exactly. So basically, I've got I've got a brother who's younger than one of my sons or two of my sons. Do you know what I mean? What's their so, dynamic like? They're they're good. I mean, they all love football. Yeah. So except my dad's kids are Liverpool fans and Man United. Say. So there's huge rivalry. It's because that's quite a funny one because there is a huge, venomous rivalry in, in terms of through the prism of football anyway yeah. between Liverpool and Manchester. So that's quite funny when you the whole time you're talking about your dad being a scouser because I associate you with being sort of more Mank, Mancunian. Yeah, yeah I, very much so. I mean, I still got that. So I think it's because my, my school was that side of mm. um, the uh, East Lanks Road. Yeah. I went to school in Bolton. So you you pick up the accent and you kind of like, I think when you have an accent at the age of 15, you're stuck with it. Yeah. And also, I married a mank, number one. The first marriage, he was a mank. He's from Salford. He's David. proper Man United. Proper chance, right, right. Yeah, like, <laughs> well, you blow your nose. Anyway, that's David. But, um, yeah, I divorced him a few years ago, about 15 years ago now. But um, And then I married Matthew, who's from Oldham. <laughs> even more like that. So yeah. yeah, he just rubs off on me. So I've got a, I've got a penchant for manks. Yeah. See, when you were you're talking about um, your dad being the sort of beneficiary of initiatives by Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. That must create a very complex dynamic because Margaret Thatcher's detested in Liverpool for what was systematic sort of managed decline. Yeah. And 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 the Hillsborough um tragedy in the way that that was subsequently subsequently dealt with. It's obviously something for him to answer, but did you ever pick up on any sort of mixed feelings? Because he can he can sort of trace his fortune back or his success back to something yeah, that Margaret Thatcher Well, it was kind of like the uh, the birth of capitalism, I guess. Yeah. But I think what happened over in Liverpool with uh, Derek Hatton was a bit of a problem because he was like f- fleecing the Liverpool people. And so he was, he was a pro- I think he was the problem. He, he was the one who stole from the Liverpool people. Whereas with Margaret Thatcher, I mean, I'm no politician, a political expert or anything because I believe there's so many backhanders going on. I just know that that initiative gave my dad the leg mm. up to create a ton of jobs where there were none, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, love them or hate them, that's what the Tories back in the 80s did. Um, and it's kind of I, give them with one hand and taking away with another. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, what can you do? You've no perfect society, but I really believe that entrepreneurs often um, 
the best entrepreneurs are the ones from nothing, I guess, because they understand graft and they know who who's a good bet and who's a bad bet. Mm. I'm a little I, because I'm more privileged. I'm, I often think that everyone's going to be uh, like minded, but my dad can spot someone who's freeloading a mile away, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he's good. He's from the streets and he gets he gets it and he often pulls me up. He says, "Are you sure about doing this? Are you sure about doing that?" You know, I'm like, "Well, you know, it's going to work out." He goes, "No, love, it's not. You yeah. don't know how tough it is." Uh, yeah, I suppose because you're, you're sort of like insulated from from those. Things things that you, you're kind of mentioning, whether it's somebody that's a freeloader or somebody yeah. that's trying to find, a, I don't know, engineer a situation that's more advantageous for them. Yeah. And um, Whereas if you're coming from a, a more... Rose-tinted. Yeah, and if, and if you come from his sort of background, yeah. or a background that I would associate myself more with, you are constantly having to be on guard, you're constantly having to think, you're constantly having to think, where's my next 10, 20, 50, 100 quid coming from? And yeah. that then... I suppose it sharpens I, 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 the senses. Yeah, I think it, it creates a strategic mind. Mm-hmm. So I was just on the news this morning and uh, I was talking about how I'm not really bothered about CVs. And so, you know, people coming from university or people yeah. getting, I'm, I'm not bothered about that because I've got my own company now. Mm-hmm. And um, I left school at 17. I walked out my A-levels. I thought, this isn't for me. And I went straight into work because I'm just not studious. It yeah. doesn't sit well with me. I get itchy and I get really, well, I just don't concentrate. I don't have the, I get bored. No, really, missing, I, really bored. Really I'm bored. I'm the exact same So as I'm kind of like more, okay, I'm going to invest in the person and see mm-hmm. if someone's, an, and that often is somebody who has a strategic mind like yourself who can, clock opportunities and just see yeah I can make a book there I can do that that's what I want in my company I want someone who's nimble and just goes do you know what this is a shit situation let's spin it that's what I want I don't want someone who can just tick boxes I mean obviously for an accountant or a lawyer I need someone who can do all that but that's that's not the business I'm in oh it's recognising the types of personalities for different types of roles and kind of what you want what you want to get from them Uh, so at 17 then if you walk out of your um, walk out of your exams yeah where, where do you go then? Like, what's your first step in the world? Well, I decided I wanted to become an actor. Mm. So that was... I mean, I just knew I wasn't academic. I got my GCSEs, no problem, but that was that was the end for yeah. me. That I just couldn't folk sit, sit anymore. I don't know if it's my hormones ranging or what, but I was so completely bored. Nothing was exciting me. I needed to be out there earning. I'm feeling a bit more proactive about yeah. life. I didn't have any sort of temptation to go and hang out with students and you know, smoke weed and eat pot noodles. No, I, I wanted to, I wanted to be like on a on a train to London. I wanted to network. I wanted to yeah. just do what I do. So anyway, I became an actor. I was on Hollyoaks from '96. Uh, something, something like that. Yeah, the '90s are a bit of a blur <laughs> for me. But yeah, it was like baptism of fire. I learnt my trade on set, and uh, we had a hoot. I mean, there was it was wild how how does that how do you get into that because even if you're coming into it fresh had you been to like drama school well I would, that's what i was doing for my a levels i was studying theater studies oh, right, right, uh, okay. theater studies um economics because i had to because my dad said uh performing arts and some psychology because that was you know yeah. that's what you did you wanted to be able to read minds all of which i was shockingly bad at <laughs> but i did know i could act but i wanted to be on stage doing it i wanted to i wanted to be in front of a camera i didn't want to be doing stanislavski which is the hard bit which is all the theater yeah. and all the emotional memory and all the writing down. no 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 just and then then i actually went to i got offered a job in hollyoaks and i went to my drama teacher and i asked her I said, uh, should I be doing this? You know, is this a risk? They've just offered me like, you know, a part-time job like for a, a six-month contract. They would mean me coming out of my A-levels and I'd have to reset all my mocks and everything again. And she said, well, to be honest, Davinia, that's why you're here. 
to get a job. Yeah. She said, just, she says, if I were you, I'd take it. Mm. So it was my drama teacher who said, just go. You don't need to be at this uh, college anymore. I didn't realise Hollyoaks had started that far back. I oh, thought... yeah, we're, we're ancient. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not that far back, but I just mean, like, I always thought it was sort of early to mid-2000s that it started. No, 90s. 90s babies. Yeah. I always think of James Corden. Have you ever heard James Corden's story about Hollyoaks? No. So he basically was offered a place, and I think it was like, let's say it was 2000. And he was told you'll get 70 grand um, a year. Yeah. And he was like, well, this is why I'm acting. His dad was like, don't, because you are going to go down a certain, like a different type of route. And he said, if you got to Hollyoaks, you would go, you know, earning 70 grand a year at the age of 20 in the early 2000s was a lot of money. Yeah. And he's like, you might get into this point of comfort. Did you feel that you were sort of comfortable and set? Or when you were there, were you thinking, I have I've got other things, other places I want to go because we'll talk about some of the other presenting work that you've done as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I was, like I said, I was pretty wild, actually. I was always after the next big thing and I was completely um, unreliable. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I used to, you know, we, the amount of times we we go on set um, straight from the night before yeah. was phenomenal. But you're 19, you can kind yeah, of wing it. So I was always, I mean, to be honest, I was always at the after party <laughs> rather than the actual business of acting. <laughs> so um, needless to say, I got bored with that as well. And mm. I wanted to start, I, I mean, I, I'd started moving down to London and I was like, oh my God, every night, Saturday night down here. By which point I didn't realise I had the addictive gene. Mm -hmm. I just thought I found everything boring. I was after dopamine, which yeah. I write about in my book. But um, it, the, 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 the writings on the on, on the wall there really how my brain was behaving and what was yeah. what I was attracted to and it was just the next the next big excitement the next big thing so eventually I moved down to London. You've spoken uh, about having ADHD as yeah. well, so because being late on set was one thing, and there's a sort of time blindness aspect of yeah. ADHD, and I'd wondered like how much of it was that just this sort of undiagnosed condition. Well, for sure. I mean, when I was a little girl, it was always uh, in my school report, must try harder, class clown, you know, always forgets her stuff, never has her pencils, never has her shoes on, you know, real scatterbrain, dolly daydream. Yeah. She must focus. She chats too much. Uh, th this sort of thing. It's in its classic, um, just ADHD, really, yeah. particularly for girls, because girls are less hyper physically. It's more mental. Like, we, I'd, I'd literally skirt around subjects all the time. Like, if I was doing a talk at the front of the class, my brain would be completely elsewhere while I was meant to be talking about, I don't know, my trip to Italy or some something like that, you yeah. know. So, yeah, I'd find myself very much... Um, very much at the mercy of my brain, which was all over the place and mm -hmm. still is to this day, but at least I know what it is now and I know to embrace it and know that I've got a skill set that a lot of people don't have, whereas I really am piss poor at admin. I try and keep on time. You know, I really do. That That's one of my, um, I, I do I, I do panic a lot about not being, uh, being late. Like last night I was, uh, I had set my alarm for half past four this morning because I was doing the news at half past five. And then every hour I kept waking up checking that I'd not. I'd, I'd, do you know what I mean? I think that's normal, that, yeah. isn't it? You know, I'd but do that. it's horrible. But it's you, a horrible you, feeling. You, you're constant waking up a panic, but then somehow still managed to be five, ten minutes. Behind. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's like that. It is a bit of um, it's a strange time perception, isn't it? Yeah, it you, is. you get you get a sort of false sense of security. And it, I, I actually take something called L-theanine before I go to the airport because I get really the amount of planes I've missed or I've got onto the wrong airport mm. I feel emotionally scarred so I've got four kids to get onto a plane my husband Matthew is late 
all the friggin' time. So much so, it's like family called the Late Ladens. They have just they, they are just <laughs> late. And like his mum and dad are always late. He's always late. And I'm like, please can we get to the airport two hours before? He's like, why? So just please, because I'm freaking the fuck out here because yeah. I know some shit's going to happen. And like, so we went to Spain the other day. And of course, I didn't realize that you have to pre-book your car park space. So we get to Manchester with the kids, suitcase, everything's late. We're, we're bombing down the motorway, screeching to the car park and it's fully booked. Mm. So I'm like, well, what are we going to do now? So we're shouting at each other. And so in the end, Matthew dropped me off at Terminal 1. I get the kids checked in with the luggage. And then he had to go and drop the car off like 15 min minutes away in style and just give a load of cash and the keys over to some bloke in a shed in the middle of a field. So that's our admin. That's what we do. Anyway, it turns out really well because we ended up staying two more days and Matthew got in touch with the bloke in style and he said to him, um, listen, I'm sorry, Willie. I should, he says, you, you meant to be back Friday. It's Sunday. And he went, yeah, I know, but um, is it okay if I pick the car up on Sunday night? And he went, yeah, all right. And he said, how much do I owe you? And he said, I'll just bring us back a load of Marlboro Red. <laughs> so it worked out well for everyone. Is, yeah. yeah so. That's proven why everybody from Manchester <laughs> up is much sounder than people from Manchester. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, what, on the actor on Hollyoaks thing, they... There was quite a bit of a... I remember reading about this at the time. Do you know that as a, as a wee boy? I just remember being aware of it in press. And it was... The Hollyoaks basically said, oh, we sacked her. But that yeah. wasn't the case, was it? Was no, it? they took advantage of that. And that's how the press works. And I'm, yeah. you know, fair enough. You know, I was I was naughty, but I did generate press for them. Yeah. Because what, um, the thing is, like, uh, Phil Redman had this sort of, like, very socialist sort of, like, set up there. So everyone gets paid exactly the same. No matter how much press you do, no matter... I had to do, like, exclusives with the News of the World because I was under contract. Yeah. Really dark stuff. You're putting a 19-year-old there in the News of the World, like, hard-hitting oh, scum journalist. Back then as it, well. It was really brutal. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about sex life and stuff. Of a kid who's 17, I've started. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it's really wrong. So on reflection, they shouldn't have done that. But they, they milked me for every single yeah. page that I, that I could get them in the uh, the nationals and they did that i mean i was literally pillaged out there so but i mean i was but, but we were all naughty we were all late but they they just saw another opportunity because i'd already handed in my notice i said i wanted to leave mm -hmm. i was moving down to london so i filmed my final scenes and um then what they did was i had two more days of pickups which would, would have been like the beginning parts of the scenes, like back of headshots and stuff like yeah. that. And that's when they put it in the press that they'd sack me. So they got another front page out of me mm. as well, even though I'd said I was leaving. And But that's that's how it works. It's just, you know, that's, it's, that's showbiz for you. Uh, is Phil Redman the guy that created Brookside? Yes. I knew guy. I knew his name. Yes, I'm yeah, sure Brooks, and Grange Hill. He did Grange Hill mm -hmm. as well. Written and devised by um, Phil, Phil Redman. That's, yeah, that's what I can right. remember. Yeah. I fucking loved Brookside at the time. Yeah, Brookie. Which, yeah. which is weird for a, like, a six-year-old kid to yeah, feel love a Liverpool. Jimmy Corkill. Yeah, Jimmy Corkill. <laughs> that's what I call by. me and Matthew, Jimmy and Jackie Corkill. Because we are so scruffy, I can't tell you. <laughs> um, so you kind of do you then make the move to London. It's at this point you start getting a bit of work in like, things like the Big Breakfast and that Yeah, that sort of stuff. I was doing um, I was doing live TV, actually. I was doing Top of the Pops at Play, which is when digital first started coming out. Right. And I remember, actually, um, that's when the Twin Towers went down. I remember watching it live wow. and the whole yeah, because I was in the B, I, I was in the BBC buildings and then that was coming through live and we didn't know what to do because we were watching New York implode and I had a stinking hangover as well. And we were and the producer just coming in my ear saying, "I don't know what we can do about this. We're watching this unfold. We can't really be playing pop music now. We're watching these people jump into their deaths." So that really stuck out for me. That that bit of live yeah. TV that was like phenomenal. How's like. That? 
that when you're feared up to your eyeballs? Do you know what I mean? Just to like, I thought, fripping heck. I mean, yeah, that was horrible. Really horrible. Uh, But yeah, it was an interesting, it was an interesting time that actually uh, doing live TV. Certainly, particularly someone who's got a potty mouth like me. It's Mm. like, oh my God, why are they putting me in front of these cameras? I'm going to swear any minute. It's always, do you not feel as if, because this is how I feel, it's, when I know I'm not supposed to, yeah. and this may sound like a bad advert, if there's any producer listening who's ever think about put me in something and then goes, ah, oh, no, nah, because he said he's going to swear, well, I've never fucking done it yet, <laughs> so you're safe. But a couple of times, like, I was talking about AI, and I was, like, just basically sp- reflecting on these robots and what they could do, and in my head, I was about to go, so do you know what? Just get them, get them all to fuck, but I stopped myself well in the done. last second, and I went, get them all... So gone. Gone. Yeah, well done. Us, well uh, done. Good edit. Good edit. You always catch it, but I think it's because it's always in the precipice, always ready to come out because yeah. you know you're not supposed to. But see, if, you, if you're having like a monologue about something um, that you're passionate about, yeah. I, I, I don't know what I'm saying. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? It just I think comes I'm just like out, going mental because they were talking about toxic masculinity the other day on the news. And I said, if anybody insinuates that my boys are inherently toxic because they are men, I'll knock them fucking out. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm like, I, I get, I, I, I managed to stop myself just yeah. in time. I said, I'd chin them. I know what you mean because sometimes I'll, I'll watch it back and I'm like, I don't remember planning that. No. Like it just came out. Yeah. And if it, I mean, if it sounds good, you're like, great. Then I've, I've kind of just, I've locked out there by what the words that have spewed out. They've somehow managed to create some semblance of me. You know, I don't know what I'm saying half the time. I'm yeah. rabbit holes, left, right, and centre. But I do all right. Yeah, good. That makes me feel a bit better then. Um, at this point, and I, I won't, because I know you've you've said with certain journalists and stuff that they can kind of um, focus too much on this, but I think it is very pertinent and relevant to where we go on to. But this coincides with just a bit of a mad time in the 90s and the 2000s. Yeah, which I think, because um, I'll just jump ahead, I think I know where you're going with it, because I am an alcoholic. But I didn't know that at the time. Now, what's weird is people think that, oh, well, it's because she was wild in the 90s and the noughties. But a lot of my mates were as well. And a lot of my mates are now happily married mums who were caning it with me on a three-day bender, yet it didn't get them. So it's like, what, what is that? And I was talking to my best mate who I went to school with. She's still my best mate now. And she's like, but the, the thing is, she said, you're... You're just different to me. We, we, we grew up together. We had the same education. We went to the same parties. We, we had the same weekenders. We went out with the same sort of lads. We smashed it. She said, but it, with you, so, something is different because you're the risk taker. Yeah. You're like this one who will do stuff and you will be an entrepreneur and you will do weird stuff that I could never dream of doing. And it's like, and I think that's the alcoholic gene in me mm-hmm. that makes me do something extraordinary. But that's the trade off. I just can't drink. As long as I don't drink, I can do everything. Yeah, but it's you, weird how how people think it's because of overindulgence. Nobody can, you can't make yourself become an alcoholic. Like I can't make myself become a nicotine addict. I've tried smoking loads, particularly when I was trying to give up drinking and it just doesn't work for me. I don't yeah. get a buzz out of it. I feel sick. Mm. I cannot make myself like nicotine. But it's weird, isn't it? People think it's an indulgent thing. There's yeah. a lot of alcoholism around and it's only a certain amount of people that it'll go into. So like, particularly if you look at the demographic like the Asian communities their heritage they don't carry a particular gene which gives them an enzyme that breaks down alcohol so they get very red and feel nauseous so often their addictive addictive uh, mannerisms go into gambling that doesn't make you nauseous because oh, yeah. you don't need that gene 
It's strange, isn't it? it is. So that that's funny because that does make complete sense. Some people have certain physical reactions to peanuts. Some people right. to certain shellfish, and I suppose alcohol. Because I, I, I was really fascinated. I read you saying that you can't metabolize metabolize alcohol. It gives me bad hangovers and the fear. Massive now, fear. Fuck, and that's like low same. dopamine. Yeah. See, when I drink, honest to God. It only gets, it's got worse as I've gotten older. Correct. But You're I, running out of NAD, that's why. Well, yeah, because what is it, these sort of enzymes that, that break down alcohol and once you use them up, then they can't be replenished? Yeah. Um, what The thing is, everything gets dragged down as you get older. So yeah. there is something called NAD, which is um, a sort of active form of vitamin B3. That As you get older, the fear comes in more. So NAD should be used in rehabs, really. It's an intravenous. It's horrific to take it makes you feel you won't know this but it's like going into early labor it's like a dragging down feeling but it resets your nad levels which you can take as a supplement actually i'm doing a, a trial up in newcastle with a doctor up there she's got a supplement called nitudo which is you can take it as a, as a capsule to replenish your nad yeah. because nad it's great for mental health as well. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is when your NAD levels drop, so from the age of like 25, you start getting the fear with hangovers, oh, God. The, the demonic fear, and that's a drop in dopamine, drop in serotonin, all the happy, safe hormones drift from you and you get the beer fear. Yeah, oh, God almighty. But I, I feel think, like you killed the Pope. See what, yeah, yeah. See what you're saying about some of these, um, like the mad nights and two-day parties and all that. Like, I remember, I'm thinking back to... Going out on the Thursday, absolutely keen and going to my work on the Friday morning, absolutely going for it again. Saturday, Sunday, Monday comes and uh, all right, you don't feel great, but you're kinda like, right, this is this You is, actually used to laugh about it. Yeah, yeah you you'd have a giggle this, about what yeah, that was part now, of the fun. Like I was so I was out on Saturday out in Soho and um it's never so much on the Sunday, it's the two the second day after. So like yesterday, oh it was brutal. Horrible. It's just a horrible feeling, you just feel empty. Yeah, yeah, the soul destroying, like the Dementors from yeah. Harry Potter have come in and sucked your life out of you. Yeah, but that that's called ageing, babe. It's crap. Everything gets worse. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but do you know, it's, it has been enough to make me just go, do you know what, I'm just... I, I, do what I do, I pick my battles. Okay, well, you, you need to schedule your nights out uh-huh. now. You have to schedule it. So I think a good time would probably be that week between Christmas and New Year. That's probably the only time you've got where you can just wing it, where I you can know. wing a bender. Otherwise, forget it. You're too busy. I'm too busy. I can't do a relapse. I've not got a re- I've not got another recovery in me, so forget that. Yeah. So basically, uh, yeah, I can't do it, and you just you have one for me on that Christmas week. <laughs> Let me know where you're uh, with I your mean, iron brewing vodka. I know. I have ten for you. Don't worry. <laughs> Um, but because you, uh, you said, but you said back in an interview in November 2019 that your battle with alcohol was like being taken over pa- by a parasite. Is it yeah. something that just starts in a small way, it's sort of insidious and within you, and then just eats away and eats away until you go, "Fuck it, we need to go." To, was it South Africa? Yeah, well, it was my mum who took me there because I was still in denial about it because I was getting divorced at the time. So I decided it was the divorce yeah. that was doing it, that was making me drink. I didn't realise that I. And and back then they didn't realise either. There was no diagnosis for my ADHD. I was put on bipolar medication for God's sake. I was put on antidepressants. I wasn't frigging depressed. Mm-hmm. I was. I I just didn't have answers to why I was like I was. I had a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, and obviously, uh, you know, you got really successful parents like mine. You've got a lot to live up to. Yeah. And you know, you've got they're highly competitive people. You know, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to yeah. be the best you can be. And I just felt like I couldn't be because I didn't know what I was dealing with within myself. I'm like, why am I late? Why why can't I hold up? Why am I bored? Why can't I re- remember this, that, and the mm-hmm. other? Why? Why aren't I interested? It's because I was freaking bored. I was bored, and I was. And what happened was, 
what I'm in now, what makes me so illuminated about this is because I can directly help myself immediately. Mm -hmm. I need instant resolutions for my brain function. And that's why I've created a business around what I think is completely underdiagnosed, particularly in women, that we have brain fog, we have hormone disruptions, men as well. You know, I've got four boys. I'm totally aware of what's happening to their testosterone levels. Yeah. This excites me. So it motivates me. So I, I'm a self-perpetuating, self-propelling sort of machine now. So, so it's 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 super interested that I can hack into my brain and that I'm like, my kids. Sounds like you've just always needed, and this is stating the obvious, and it's the same for everyone, but for some people it impacts them even more. But it's like you've just always needed your, your purpose and have Exactly, it sounds it. really wanky, doesn't it? But, but, it's it, true. but it is, but it really is like some. I was talking to you earlier before we came on air, and it, you know, people with ADHD often are extremely good in a panicky situation, a crisis. Yeah. So that's why people with ADHD are great paramedics. Mm -hmm. great police officers great firemen do you know what I mean yeah. it's like that call to action all of a sudden everything makes sense you you're calm whereas you put me in front of an accountant I'm like blah, blah, blah. What? Yeah. don't speak stop what, what? Yeah. I've got to go make do you want a cup of tea yeah I mean it's just <laughs> awful trying to get me through a meeting like that I, I would speculate on that as being people with ADHD let's just say you're a very logical brain an accountant a lawyer it's either it's A or B or C and everything's formulaic and here's the answer and here's the sort of structure and to how we find it whereas someone with ADHD will see um, let's just say um, one, two and three th let's just say three boxes you're looking at yeah. and instead of going there's three boxes you're like well what could be in those boxes are there other hidden boxes and what tends to happen is you have 45 different trains of thought which allows you Simul to see yeah simultaneously yeah, just yeah, running yeah, a yeah, million programs at once and then particularly in a state of crisis you'll be able to hone in on the most logical solution because you're so used to spinning plates anyway whereas somebody who would be like that more um, methodical accountant legal mind would probably fall to shit yeah. so what my, what I've spoken about many times before is the fact that we shouldn't um, demonize people with certain skill sets like we do in the school system yeah. because we've always been a tribe We've always needed like the homemakers. So the mums who are very mumsy, breastfeeding, want to stay at home, want to cuddle, want to share stories, want to sit around a campfire. Whereas me, I'm like, get me out of here. I want to go and run with a saber toothed tiger and go and kill something. And I want to like, I want to be the lunatic who climbs up a waterfall to go and get something because yeah. I need that dopamine. I need that excitement. Whereas, uh, but we're all valued because I bring something back to the tribe and someone else would cook it while I'm telling you about my crazy story. You know, but we're all absolutely necessary to make everything work. The trouble is, we all compartmentalise everything and children have got to be a certain way. They've got to pass certain exams. I'm not forcing my kids to do anything. My son's just finished his GCSEs. If I could get him out of school and traded now, I would do. But Tony Blair said he's got to stay in till he's 18. <laughs> what? Is I mean, that in England you need to stay yeah, till about 18? Yeah. Bloody hell, I never knew that. So we're going to find out his mass GCSE in August when he's at Reading Festival. So oh, right. there you go. So let's see what happens there. Yeah, I feel like you might not reach him for a No, no. <laughs> like, oh dear. Shades of his mother. His poor um, dad's going, oh my God. He's like, you. I'm like, that, ah, I do all right. That's quite interesting as you're reflecting on, often people will repeat the mistakes of their parents, but you seem to have kind of gone in a different way. And then it makes me think of the example that parents leave for you and if anybody wants to get an idea of maybe the type of pressure or even the type of environment that you would have grown up in here's a good example do you remember who mal evans is yeah mal evans yes i do yeah of course mal evans so Beatles, yeah so 
tell me about the 21st birthday present that okay. you got you. So my dad being my dad. Uh, at this this point, blew my fucking mind. Right, okay, so, so this this is my dad. You've got to bear in mind, he never makes a purchase. He does not give a door a bang, my dad, by the way. He is really, like, he knows where every single penny is. Like, he will negotiate with everyone, paying 10% for cash, even in a restaurant. I'm like, oh, for God's sake, are we still doing this? Or in a clothes <laughs> shop, it's so mortifying. Anyway, so my 21st birthday, and I was on set um, in Hollyoaks. It was, a night, it was a night shoot, I remember. And my dad called me up, and he'd had a few drinks. He goes, right, if the news calls you up, don't be alarmed. I've done something mad. And I'm like, okay, all right. So at the time, I was playing a character called Jude Cunningham. Yeah. Anyway, at that time, um, remember my dad's a scouser, and so is my mum. Uh, huge Beatles fans. Anyway, this um, book, uh, Mal Evans' book, which is uh, the notebook where Paul McCartney wrote Hey Jude and all the rest of the lyrics to Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts um, went up for auction and my dad sat in his armchair with a bottle of wine bidding at Christie's <laughs> <laughs> for this bloody notebook because it was Hey Jude was in it and my character name was Jude and my 21st birthday came up. That's unbelievable. And he bought it and we own it. And I put it back, yeah, I put it back in the Beatles Museum in Liverpool so it's on general display. But that's what he got me for my 21st. But remember, this is my dad. If I ever tried to sell it, he'd crucify me. It's technically his, but he bought it under the guise as an investment for me. It is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, I've got loads of questions. Donating it to the museum, why do you just want other people to enjoy it? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy if it's going to be in a safe in somewhere, you know. And, and, you know, Liverpool, after the pandemic, of course, you know, those sort of places, they lost tons of tourism. So, um, and and to to be honest, I wanted them to do like some due diligence on it, do some digging, what was the history and everything in the provenance of it so yeah it's back on display in Liverpool uh, just near the Albert Dock at the Beatles the Story, Story. Yeah, Museum right, if anybody yeah. wants to go and see it you've got Diane Glover she's the market manager for the Beatles Story Museum and she said it's not just Mal Evans writing it's in there as we said You know, she said it's got John, Paul, George and Ringo have all written in yeah. it but the lyrics to Hey Jude like fucking hell and you've also got recording notes for George, like by George Harrison for yeah. All You Need Is Love and a number of other songs. And it's like, got loads of doodles as well, and I yeah. think they're a little bit psychedelic. Oh, yeah, so, just I know. But I'm not allowed to touch it. Clumsy. Not yeah. allowed to touch because I'd drop it or rip a page. So I was just like, I gave it to them yeah. and went, please look after it because I am clumsy. ADHD will probably spill I mean, a load of flipping kombucha on it. insured for a million pounds, which I think tells you everything. Yeah. Do you know who's got an amazing, amazing piece of... Uh, Beatles memorabilia and I've held it so you know Lucy Johnston the, uh, Lucy is the producer at GB yes. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, who's, who's now left or well, she's, she'll get annoyed series editor but her mum gave her something and it's from the Hammersmith Apollo which is not far from where it's she lives not, actually yeah. and it's a programme from the Beatles in like 68 or something like that and it's signed by like John Lennon and Paul McCartney and she got and it framed she just got it sitting in a box. Oh my god, she needs to get it framed. I know she's going to get, get, get it, it framed. This yeah, is definitely. Incredible. I know that th- you know memorabilia like that. I mean, I'm not a massive sort of like music fan anyway. I still listen to house music. I'm mm. literally stuck in the '90s on a podium in the hacienda. It's pathetic. <laughs> I listen to it every day, and that's what I run to. If I'm you can't stuck physically be there, at least mentally. You yeah, can like, be there. I can like. It's called emotional memory, so I can take myself back to having a really good time in the yeah. house or in cream just by that and that, that's what gets me out the door to run because I have a long distance run now right, and okay. it just Im- improves my mood phenomenally so that motivates me but I mean I've, God I'm a scouser by DNA so I've got to love the Beatles right? <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean I think you, you're allowed you're allowed to have a sort of mixed loyalty between cities there. I am and also I called my son my number four I number them he's called Jude 
So ah, that's after, lovely. After but that, did you also call him Jude as a sort of homage to your character, thinking you'd never go back, and then you end up actually? Yeah, going so back? that was really embarrassing when I went back because <laughs> they said, "Oh, haven't you got a son called Jude? Isn't that a bit weird?" I said, "Yeah, that's really fucking weird. <laughs> Sorry about that. I, did, I never thought I'd ever go back on, but I went back in. I don't know, was it two thousand and five, sixteen? Was it God ages yeah. ago? Yeah. So I went back. They said, "Do you want to go back?" And I just thought, "Why not?" My kids had never seen me up, but then they were like, "Oh, what's your little boy called?" I went, <laughs> "Jude." Oh no. But people used to say to me, oh, is, is, is he called Jude after Jude Law? And I said, no, because Jude Law is actually called Dave. Fuck off, is like he? It? Yeah. Jude Law, if I see you, I'm pulling you up, mate. I thought that was your name this Dave. whole time. Dave. It just makes Dave. him so unsexy all of a sudden. You look at Dave. Dave. So all of a sudden you go, yeah, Dave. Yeah, Shut Dave. up, Dave. Dave Law. Is that his, <laughs> but his surname yeah. is Law? Yeah. Dave Law, there you go. <laughs> he's just all of a sudden he's just not cool, and he's just Dave. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Dave from the pub. You're no longer cool. I watched him in the talented Mr. Ripley actually recently. He's gorgeous, one. Oh yeah, absolutely beautiful. You've man. got a look of him in talented Mr. Ripley. What you're wearing today? Yeah, you've got, you're, you're rocking the Jude Law, not actually. the Dave Law. You're rocking yeah, the Dave Dude Law. Yeah, sort of sixties look, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, there was something I was going to say. Oh yeah, that's what I wanted to ask. Was this like a throwaway comment? You said that part of the reason that you went back to Hollyoaks was because your kids, your mum. But you've obviously been this person way before, and it was a kind of way of being like, no, no, look, I actually am also this other person. Yeah, I mean, I guess they'd never seen me do anything apart from just wash the socks and shout <laughs> and, you know, make the tea and moan about the dishwasher situation. So I wanted yeah. to do something that was a little bit out of my comfort zone and see if I could still, you know, interact with people on a professional mm. level. Because I've been, I've been a mum for, well, it's so long, really, and that I've been my primary role. And uh, I, you know, which of course I, I find you know completely boring. If I'm honest with you, just being mumsy mum. So I wanted yeah. to have a bit more excitement, with, you know. So so yeah, I, I did it, and uh, I suppose it's normal for them now. Now now they just see me as someone who owns a company called Will Powders, and sometimes I'm on the news, and they think it's you know there's only one who's interested. That's Asa number three. The rest couldn't give a shit. They're not bothered. That's They're good. not bothered. I've got have... one fan. Yeah, good to have that. Well, that's twenty five percent of the yeah exactly the yeah, so. yeah so that's nice yeah actually less because Matthew couldn't give a shit either <laughs> so all five lads but, don't give a toss yeah, about what down I to, do we're down to twenty percent <laughs> would it uh, would be remiss of me not to ask what was Manchester like in the sort of nineties because you always hear about the hacienda amazing. Amazing. It because was like the bearing place, in yeah, it? bearing in mind I was like in the house at fifteen. My mum dragged me out once <laughs> wearing her dressing gown and she showed my face to Damien Newman. He was a big dormant back then, he's like chief gag, so there's tons of documentaries about him. And she went, See this girl, she is underage. You let her in again and I will close you down, young man. <laughs> he's about seven foot, my mum's five foot nothing <laughs> in a dressing gown and trainers. And I got dragged off a podium oh. and uh, I went back the next week in uh, a wig. How did you went. get in? Yeah, damn right, I did. I mean, we had much bigger problems than a 15-year-old girl. Trust me on the door when <laughs> you think about right. it. I loved it. The music was amazing. Happy House was proper in full swing. I used to start off at Cream on a Saturday night in Liverpool. So that would finish at about, for us, it would finish at about one o'clock, get, get a lift with a random and find myself at the Hacienda till four o'clock and then and then end myself and then end up in Cheatham Hill at after parties. Mm. I mean, and my mum and dad thought I was staying at my mate Claire's house. Mm. I mean, that happened every frigging week. Are you joking? No mobile phone, anything. I'm in Cheatham Hill till stupid o'clock on a Sunday, and somehow managed to get up for school on uh, on a Monday. Does that ever give you the fear? Imagine, like, imagine you were to be able to transport everything you were doing then, but to now and there's phones everywhere. 
Oh my god, no, my god, it was so bad. Everybody would just be finished, wouldn't they? Finished, career ending, everything. <laughs> and the do- you wouldn't even start. I mean, maybe that's why kids don't get as wrecked as we did. did because, I mean, yeah. we had no phones. I mean, pay phones, that was yeah. it. Reverse the charges, that sort of stuff went on. And, you know, my dad used to, he, we had a deal when he picked me up from Cream. Sometimes he goes, I look like a bloody pervert sat here. The police are wondering what the hell I'm doing sat here waiting for you two clowns. And Claire and I just, like, walk into the car trying to hold it together. <laughs> it's, um, did you see there was an article that was circulating from The Guardian, like, two weeks ago? No, And it's called Beige Fluencers. No, tell me. I'll send you it, right? Beige. I hate beige. I know, it was really good. And it was basically about the rise in fucking 22-year-old girls aspiring to be like other 22-year-old girls that are on Instagram. And it's very much, so come with me. That's a fucking TikTok. I see it, I'm like, fuck off. I know that sounds really, um, like, as if I'm being really just condemning and horrible. But fuck off, yeah. But fuck off, fuck fuck off, yeah. Come with me as I light my candle in Go my away. beige house and like fuck yeah. man. Everything's perfect. There's yeah. no. Ca- it's just not. It's and bullshit, it's, there's right? Like this basically the aspirational thing now is to be boring and to get up for a five a.m. gym class. And here I have my lemon water, and it's like. What you need is, I'm not going to say it because yeah. I'll get shut down. You need to double drop here. and have a laugh. <laughs> yeah. And just just do it you like we to. said to you earlier. Listen, I was I was crackers during my teens and my yeah. 20s, but my body could take it. If I suddenly went out back, if I went back out now, I'd die. Yeah. And my body could not take what I did because I you're know. young and you're going into battle. And it was like a fun fair for my... But you know what? Not everybody ends up like an alcoholic like me. And to be honest, it's the best thing that ever happened to me because... Yeah. I know what my limitations are. I've got a cut-off point. I know I'm an addict. I know I can get addicted to virtually mm. anything. So I can use that. I can navigate my brain into something constructive. And you know what? Some of the best people in the world are alcoholics. The funniest people. I can tell when I can tell by a lot of comedians who's in recovery and who's not. You can tell by the chat. Really? And there's yeah, it's so funny. I mean, just before we were just talking about that DJ, I've just clocked. Yeah, yeah. And it's like I can just. I, there's so many. This it is cool to be sober, but bloody hell, I'll have a past story. Let's find out why you got so. I don't want someone to just, yeah, I just never really enjoyed the taste of alcohol. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> yeah. drank for the fucking taste. I know. No, everyone drunk to get high and more. Maybe on. I've got that with alky brain because people say to me, like, remember I was saying to you on the way here, I was like, I don't, in the house, I wouldn't go, oh, I'll have a nice glass of wine. I'm like, no, I'll have, have a, like box. a packet of barbecue beef for hips <laughs> and my diet iron brewing. Like, that's how I relax. So if somebody says to me, do you want to go for a beer? And I'm like, oh, is that a euphemism? Because, like, if you want to go for a beer, like, no, because no. I don't think it's that nice. If you want to go for 18 beers, like, yeah. I'm in. Now we're talking. Now we're uh, talking. Now we can plan. Yeah. Now we can plan. Like, yeah. I'm not coming for one. Like, I don't no. like the taste of fucking, like, I don't know, Carlsberg or whatever it is. Maggie, I don't think it's No, you're an nice. iron brew man with the sugar. Full fat iron exactly, brew, man. Exactly, I know, but iron Sacrilege. brew absolutely did me dirty. Changing <laughs> it. Um... Aye, so the, the, the beige you, so I'll Yeah, so beige, beige for me is my nemesis. Beige for me is dangerous. Mm. Beige for me will have me seeking, uh, seeking alcohol. Yeah. I cannot do beige. I need exciting. I need multicolor. I need multi-risk. I need um, high energy. I need results. I need dopamine. Beige for me will kill me. Yeah. Beige for someone else will save them. But beige for me, lighting candles and being all zen is bullshit for me. So I like at night, how I relax is I jump in a li- little infrared sauna pod. All right. So you know, at wine o'clock, I get, I've got, it's like a little pop-up sauna. 
and I put it in front of Netflix and I'll binge watch Netflix while sweating. And there's a, a hormone that's released while you're sweating, particularly with infrared because it gets into the liver. And it, think of it as a healthy microwave. So the lights penetrate the skin. They get into the organs by about five inches and they'll push the toxins out that you've that you've got oh, stuck right. in your liver. So that's why it's better than a regular sauna. Infrared's yep. better than a regular, just a heat in the air sauna. So, but that releases certain hormones that make, um, you know, when you have a glass of wine, it's like it's like a truth drug, really. You know, yeah. you start talking more. So often you'll find yourself releasing a lot of stress subconsciously by sweating at night. And if you were to do a podcast in a sauna, you get a lot more out of cagey people because it's like they've had a glass of wine. That's a good idea. Correct. So do that. So you need to get yourself an infrared sauna podcast set up. I know, but imagine like me trying to approach somebody and be like, here, do you want to... Come call? on, Eamon, in your car. I know, just me and you, <laughs> just do you want to you go for a sauna? Sauna in our trunks, like, I know, oh my God. Do you want to go and sit in a sauna and get sweaty? And we'll record that. They'll be like, sorry, <laughs> what kind of show is this? Trust me, it'll be the new thing. But that, for me, stops me from craving alcohol at mm-hmm. nights because I never I never drank to relieve stress or block out pain. I drank because I like the dopamine. You just like a wee buzz I like the do- I like, Yeah, yeah. It's I lift, can relate to that. Yeah. I can really relate to that. I have that as well as a cold shower. So a cold shower is like an adaptogen. So in the morning, if you have a cold shower, it'll raise your energy. But at night, as long as you're not wearing sunglasses and uh, or you've got as much natural daylight in your skin and your eyes as possible, the body knows what time of day it is and what hormones to release when you enter the cold shower at night. Mm-hmm. So at night after a hot sauna, I'll have a, co- a cool shower to bring my body temperature right down. My body will know it's nighttime because I've been lo- I've been looking out the window or I've, I've been outside and it knows to start releasing melatonin, serotonin, oxytocin, so you feel cozy in bed. But in the morning, if you lack energy, 15 seconds cold shower, back of the neck, it'll boost your dopamine the same as the equivalent of a line of cocaine. Without really? the calm down, yeah. Well, that would save me a lot of money. It will do. And all the hassle <laughs> that goes with numbers and dealers yeah. and bikes and whatever. I, don't, I don't know the protocol. Sometimes when I see them, like, my eyes are I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm trying to chop it up. I can't see. <laughs> that is a joke. <laughs> that is a joke. That is a joke. For but, some, but for those of you suffering from uh, cocaine addiction, it might, you might want to enter cold showers. It might help. Yeah. And also NAD. Just or, because I know there's a lot of people out there who are st- or, struggling. Take gear in a cold shower. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of Double course. Like whammy. a true addict. That's like another joke. Addict. Please, I'm kidding. <laughs> I do not endorse uh, coke that. in the shower. It's totally impractical. Yeah, don't <laughs> yeah, don't, don't waste it. I mean, it's expensive. <laughs> you don't, you can't like risk getting it damp. Like, I, 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 always, I keep having to say it's a joke. Like if anybody, if fuck oh, off, I know like, the I'm beige kidding. police. Yeah, the beige lot. I'm offended. Fuck off. so, Take well, your fucking you really didn't live in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah, I've correct. got a lavender candle though. I got given it. Oh, can I just tell you about lavender candles? It's an endocrine disruptor. The flavouring that they have in uh, lavender has been seen to. Uh, increase estrogen dominance in men women and children so estrogen dominance is something that will give you man boobs and hips and belly fat there's a lot more estrogen in the water particularly with like plastic bottles Um, it just etches in so be very aware you might want to have a look at a supplement called DIM and calcium D-glucarate which will rid your body of um, toxic you've got good and bad estrogens and so the xanoestrogens are just in modern Mm. society and that's why kids are getting puberty quicker and boys are getting man boobs so it's just something to look out for, particularly if you're feeling a bit premenstrual, which men can get as well. So yeah, I take DIM and calcium D-glucarate. Actually, bodybuilders used to use it pre-shows just to get them super lean. All right. Yeah. Right, I'll be getting the... Uh, so yeah, lavender out. Get, get the can- lavender get out. Get that candle. Fuck, I never liked get, it, to Yeah, get the, uh, yeah they're all, they mess with your hormones, those cheap candles uh, right. that, that smell nice. I mean, they smell lovely, don't they? Like a show home, but they're going yeah. to make you chubby, so... 
Well, I do not want to be chubby. <laughs> no. Speaking of being chubby, yes. you were. I chubbed stuff, yeah. yeah. Cuddly. 20, I mean, that sounds really harsh for that. It's thicker than I come on to the next point. But it's, it's kind of after the passing your mum, wasn't it? You can yeah. add more to food. Exactly. So um, I'd already put down the booze and uh, I didn't have anything else to lean on when I lost my mum. And I didn't know I was ADHD anyway. So mm-hmm. I just felt super, super low because I had no dopamine whatsoever. So no resilience, no confidence, no drive and ambition. So I started reaching for carbohydrates, which give you a little dopamine boost. Mm-hmm. So it was the addict in me coming out again. I piled on the weight, um, but more than anything, it was the inflammation, like swollen knees, swollen, like couldn't put my engagement ring on, just generally like a walking bruise, but my brain was sluggish. It was like I was wading through mud. Everything from like, just just say unloading the dishwasher involved, (gasps) God, Yeah. There was, I mean, I I still do that now, but I know it's not, this was arduous and then so as soon as I'm in the kitchen I'm making a sandwich because I'm constantly peckish not hungry just the cravings were overwhelming I was constantly seeking like uh, salt sugar so square crisp followed by mintero and back again it was relentless the snacking but I couldn't I couldn't press pause never mind stop yeah so my brain had been taken over by another highly addictive substance which was was sugar carbohydrates and vegetable oils which I didn't know about till I started doing some work on what hormones are Mm -hmm. and uh, what I discovered about vegetable oil was phenomenal and there's a brilliant doctor called Dr. Kate Shanahan who wrote a book called Deep Nutrition. You should read that. And it blew the cover on, basically, we've all been really brainwashed uh, to be addicted to vegetable oil because what it does, um, actually, a bit of history on vegetable oil. It was first invented as a farmyard machinery cleaner. <laughs> so it's a detergent. And so if you have the pink stuff, has, has, has your mum got the pink stuff? Have you seen it? It's like a stain remover. Yeah. Bright, really good stuff. But that was invented in the 30s. First ingredient, proudly, plant-based vegetable oil. Mm. What it does, it gets rust off outdoor furniture. It's it's brilliant stuff. It's like I waterproof mascara remover for women out there, or men who wear waterproof <laughs> mascara. Um, so what it does, when you consume it, it starts straight away to clean your gut of mucus. And what resides in that mucus, bearing in mind your mouth is where your gut starts. It's not just down in your stomach. Uh, Little hormone receptors are in your mucus, just there, just detecting uh, for amino acids in your food. So your body's always seeking amino acids to build protein, to repair, to grow, to regenerate. So what happens when you have, say, like a square crisp or a Pringle, for example, a Pringle's covered in veg oil, and you take it in your mouth, and what it does is it wipes the mucus away. So all those little receptors, hormone receptors, that are in your gut that connect straight to your brain via the gut-brain axis to tell your brain, do you know what, we've had enough food, stop eating, we're satisfied. That message never gets there. So you're constantly wiping your gut clean of messaging, uh, uh, signaling sort of like hormones that will tell your brain to stop eating. So you're always going to be seeking more. So they even say on the front of Pringles, once you pop, you can't stop. It's there, plain as day. (laughs) You can't because it's frigging addictive substances that you'll Mm. you'll never be satisfied. Like oat milk, it's made of veg oil. It's phenomenal. It's it's breaded water with veg oil. It's really bad shit. 
So it will just trigger addictive eating. So that's what I didn't know about. That's what a doctor won't tell you about. But you've got neuroscientists like Andrew Huberman. He'll tell you about that. Yeah. So that's what I've done. I've scoured the earth to figure out what's making my brain addicting. And I've put it into a book so people can understand. It's not their fault. It is big food who have these bliss point foods to make us really addictive. So we can't stop buying their products. They're mm. on a private jet. We're not. So just remember who's winning, us or them. And yeah. so, you know, it's not a treat. It's just been packaged as a treat. And it just basically puts you at their mercy. So, yeah. Um, so there's t tons of interesting sort of like hacks out there to, to get out of this addictive eating. And I can do it in more, about three days. I, it takes me to turn my body around after a binge. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah, that's what it's about. Being able to press pause. So with your, with your first book... You lost about three and a half stone, but yeah. as you pointed out, you reduced a hell of a lot of the inflammation. And was it mums at the school gates were asking you how you'd done yes. it and encouraged you to go onto Instagram? Yeah, because I didn't want to go on Instagram because of all the, of the bad press I've had. I've always had nasty press. How recently did you start your Instagram? Um, let's see, about four years ago. Right, so you get about fucking over a million followers. Yeah. So there's obviously a lot of intrinsic value that people recognise in yeah. what you're putting Well, out. I think the before and after picture says it all because a lot of people go... That's me. I'm the before picture. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, I, and I'm saying it's it's more about, it, it's obviously there's a circumference of your thighs, your, 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 your fat fingers and everything like that. But it's the brain that I'm articulating, how they feel, how sluggish they feel, how meh, how, well, adhedonia. It's just yeah. complete indifference to no zest for life. And I think that's what's resonated with people. And the fact that, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not influenced, you know, no one can pay me to advertise their stuff. I've got my company, Will Powders, but I'll bring someone on my channel and I won't charge him a fee. I'm not an influencer. Yeah. You cannot buy my loyalty. If I think something's shit, I'll say it's shit. If I think, think something's good, I'll say it's good, but you can't buy me mm -hmm. as a person. So I've just stayed loyal to that. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not an influencer. You can, if anybody wants to buy me, I've, I've definitely Okay, but price. you will speak to your agent, yeah? <laughs> yeah, throw 50 quid my way and I'm like, yeah. Again, that's a joke. Out for now, take <laughs> two, yeah. That's a joke. But you, you wrote this book then, It's Not a Diet, which went on to be a Sunday Times number one bestseller. Yep. What, what the most prestigious sort of list that you can top? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just want the New York Times now. Of course I do, because yeah. I'm uh, dopamine seeking. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. So I just want more, 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 more. So I mean, it's it's funny. Yeah, my dad. I said to my dad, uh, I said, yeah, I'm Sunday Times number one. It came out on Father's Day, and he's like, oh, I'm so proud of you, so proud of you. <laughs> so um. When's the next one out? Was it straight away? Yeah, yeah. Straight away. You're not going to be like a one-hit wonder, are you? I'm like, oh my god, Dad, the pressure no, again. No Fortunately, I'm not. I'm not. I'm a two-hit wonder. Yeah, I'm not Enid Blyton, like relaxed, <laughs> yeah, keep, like churning out the books. I was really fascinated by the process in which you ended up writing a book, and, and we'll go on to talk about um, hack your hormones as well. Which, in, in all honesty, when I heard about it, I wasn't dismissive, I wasn't derisive, but I kind of was like, all right, I'll, I'll have a look at it and I'll see. But I was like, is it going to be this sort of pseudoscience type thing or is it going to be stuff that doesn't really make sense? Is it loads of words without actually having any substantial meaning? But in actual fact, when I've read it and looked through it, and I haven't read every part of it, but I've read a hell of a lot of it. And it was like, I said this to you earlier, it's digestible, it's interesting, it's quite fun. I can feel your personality coming th off through the page. It's very conversational in the way that I was reading it. And a lot of stuff I was going, yeah, I knew this, but I didn't apply it. Or I yeah. kind of knew this, but I hadn't seen it put in those terms. Or I already um, eat these foods or I take these sort of supplements. And it's good to sort of have, I don't know, to have in an age where, yeah, you know, people, diets are terrible. People are probably 
a lot of people anyway in the worst sort of nick they've been yeah. ever mentally overstimulation eating foods I'm feeling underwhelmed with it really I, underwhelmed with life and I think the medical sort of prognosis would be feeling shite that's yeah. just kind of how I would yeah. sum it up everybody just feels shit and to, to be reading this and digesting I was like this is fucking this is brilliant I, I genuinely really enjoyed not that that should be a surprise because this is also Sunday Times number one bestseller. Yeah, I think the great thing about um, how um, obviously I work with an editor and she's really, well, she's my age, so she gets it too. And what we did was we decided to put it into chapters led by symptoms. Mm -hmm. So if you are like underwhelmed and really struggling to focus, you don't have to read the whole fucking book. Yeah, like sure. there's a chapter that so many women have gone to that why can't I stop eating? Mm -hmm. And that's what it is. Why can't I stop eating? You just go through there, change that, and then all of a sudden you've got a bit more energy in your brain. You're doing a little bit more to increase your dopamine and guess what you might start reading the first chapter about sleep then and then you could read the whole thing yeah. but I understand that time is of importance and you, you know you've not got time to sit down and read a friggin book I know. you've not at all I but, mean I did the audiobook which yeah. is awful because my voice is like this and it's like all of a sudden I go back to drama school and I like, <laughs> sound like a complete wanker but anyway I apologize for that but gotta be done yeah, I like gonna... an audiobook, but with, with this one, I, I always say to people, get the audiobook, audiobooks are great, but with this, not have it in front of you because you can reference it, you can and read it. a highlighter. Yes. I love a highlighter. Every time I'm on a plane, that's when I do get to do some mm -hmm. reading and I get myself a I, I lose them all the time because that's me, I lose everything. Yeah. I don't even have a front door key, I've lost it that, lot, that <laughs> many times, I have to go and find Matthew to get the front door key to let me in. That's how <laughs> scatty I am, but yeah, I highlight a lot of it and I think that really helps to cement it in your brain. But it's funny, it, you, you're scattying stuff and, mm. and forget about things, you're kind of like me in the sense of if something is of interest to you and it'll grab you. Hyper-focus. Yeah, because I heard you saying this, is, this caught me by surprise. So yeah, it was. this is a quote from you. So yeah, it was around about this time that I discovered medium chain triglycerides and I was like, wait, stop, what? What the fuck? <laughs> say that again. But that's like coconuts <laughs> and palm oils to give brain power. And was that like yeah. a kind of opening point for you in which okay, you just yeah. then start to explore everything Exactly. Else? So what I was lacking before I um, discovered the MCT, as we say in the biz, the medium chain <laughs> triglyceride, in the biz, um, I was uh, I was fueling my brain on glucose, like we're all raised with cereal, like we're raised with um, yeah, carbohydrates, as yeah. a, a like oats, all this being a healthy, great, ready break start to the day. It's not. It's very, very short term and it drops off very quickly and you start finding yourself snacking again. So if you start your day with oats, you're going to just crave sugar for the rest of the day. Yeah. I didn't know that. So I now start my day with MCT oil in my coffee, which, by the way, I thought I couldn't have coffee because it used to give me anxiety. It didn't. It was a coffee I was having. So like Starbucks, they saw their coffee beans. Um, a lot of them are moldy. That's what gives you the anxiety. So you need Pret. Theirs is organic and it's not stored in the same conditions. Right. So, yeah, they, so, but some people are okay with it. Some people can uh, uh, metabolize the mold. A yeah, lot of people yeah. can't. I'm one of those people. So i just written off the whole coffee thing. But also you can take something called L-theanine, which helps uh, convert caffeine into a cool, calm energy as opposed to a jittery one. So anyone who thinks they can't have coffee, they can. They just need some L-theanine with it. So the MCT, um, what you do is you mix that with caffeine. And what the MCT does, it's a very small chain of carbon atoms. So it's got eight carbon atoms, whereas most fat molecules have about 48. So what it is, it's a very small carbon atom that is small enough to cross the blood-brain barrier. So it, convert, it hits the liver. It, the liver converts it without going through the digestive system. The liver converts it very quickly and it goes into the bloodstream, crosses the blood-brain barrier very, very fast. And instantly you will have ketones as an energy source in your brain. 
ketones are fat as a fuel. The body, the brain loves the body. The brain is made of fat Mm. and it runs really efficiently on fat and it becomes more hyper focused because with glucose, uh, think of a hunter gatherer with glucose. If he's found himself some fruit or something like that, he's he's, he's, he's in a time of abundance, right? He's He's not in a fasted state. When you're in a fasted state, you don't suddenly wither and die. You suddenly go into like a higher gear and you start seeking and becoming really a super alert. So that's when the brain starts using fat as a fuel, body fat as a fuel. So what I do is I start my day with fat as a fuel, get onto that hyper focus and I don't need to seek little brownies. I don't need to seek um, croissants. I don't need to seek anything. I can just get on with work and even boring stuff like accountancy is bearable for me if Mm -hmm. I've got fat as a fuel. So that's where the MCTs came in. And that's all of a sudden that opened the pathway to the whole biohacking thing and being able to hack into Mm -hmm. my mood and motivation. So you're given these very scientific and detailed explanations. And what I then do is tie that to my experience. And it's like when I have three eggs in the morning Mm -hmm. and water, I go out feeling, I go out feeling good. Yeah, that's got choline in it. Choline's really good. That's Mm. another brain energy source. And it's got cholesterol in it. So cholesterol has been demonized and it's ridiculous because all hormones are built uh, with cholesterol. So the whole low cholesterol um, mania, I think, has actually triggered tons and tons of like possibly deadly diseases. Do you know who I blame for that? Flora. Oh, mass. Well, there you go. That's that's the PUFAs that we were talking about before, the polyunsaturated fat. I would be seven years old now. Vitalite. Like I'd honestly be watching TV and I'd be like, fuck, man, I better watch out for cholesterol. I know what it is. Well, but this is the this is the addic- this is the veg oil, this is the seed oil that's highly addictive. It's one molecule away from plastic, and I we think, eat it in abundance, and it's heart healthy. Yeah, Are you kidding it's, me? It's slightly reminiscent of like socio or political strategies like they always governments always have an enemy the war on drugs the war on terror the war on whatever saturated fat yes war on saturated fat the working man's food the right that that makes us actually um, strong because fat fat on your body and fat from uh, from what your dietary fat are two different things it's just spelled F-A-T it's Mm -hmm. really oversimplification so dietary fat like say from the fatty part of a bacon and eggs right that will be converted into energy and you can burn that off. You oh team God. that with bread, that's going to convert to glucose and be stored as fat. I am ketogenic throughout the day. At night, I have my carbohydrates. So mm-hmm. I'm not ketogenic all the time. If I wanted to shred, I could do it for a week and I would shred, be like beach ready. But yeah. can't be asked. I'm happily married with loads of kids. The last thing I give a shit about is looking good on the beach, to be honest. I just want to get on the plane with all four kids and not have to deal with the parking situation at Manchester Airport again. <laughs> yeah. But um that but I mean a few years ago I would have been more paranoid about being overweight on the beach, but I'm not now, but that's just comes with age. But yeah. literally dietary fat is something you can use as an energy source. Carbohydrates are stored as fat and they make you sleepy. So that's why I have my carbs at night. So um I'll be ketogenic, fat-fueled throughout most of the day, maybe a bit of protein. I'm not hungry. I'm not craving. And I'm an addict by nature. So mm-hmm. trust me, if I can come out of this, anyone can. So at night time, I get the sourdough out, uh, potatoes, shepherd's pie, mop up the gravy. Then you hit the carb coma. And then you can really enjoy being relaxed. What is the point in having a butty at 12 o'clock when it's going to trigger carb coma? It's going to release serotonin, which then turns into melatonin. Your sleep hormone at 12 o'clock in the bloody afternoon, it's crazy. Or having it as a pre-workout in a gym. No, you want to start using body fat. You want to get really sort of like high as you possibly can with nootropics and fat as a fuel. 
So you burn body fat, you have the most sustained energy in the gym, you get all the gains you possibly can, and then at night, when you settle down, watch the telly, do Netflix, then you dig into your carbohydrates and you get dead cosy and go to sleep. I mean, it's absolutely crazy that we have the opposite way around, and I expect it to function. Because pre-workout, I'm always like, I need to get carbs, I need to have banana. No, like you no, you don't. You could do 15k, no problem without carbohydrates. Mm, but for me, then, if I went to strength training... And I sometimes find when you go in, you're like, oh, I feel a wee bit lightheaded and I just want to have all the Yeah, get some again. MCT. Get some MCT down here. They've got a new MCT coming out that I've, I've not um, invested in yet because I don't think my market at Willpower is quite there. Mm-hmm. But they've got a specific MCT that doesn't target the brain, it targets yeah. muscles. That'll be new to market soon. And that's what you want. But you need new tropics. All movement begins in the brain, mm. not the body. You tell your body to sprint away from something and it will in a sign of danger. All that is is brain energy. All that is is adrenaline, noradrenaline that's yeah. in the brain. You have the right new tropics for that and you'll you'll work out without any exhaustion. Well, I, I would seriously recommend that people do read Hack Your Hormones uh, and they can check out Will Powders as well. Uh, which is your nutrition company, mm-hmm. which, so basically these are sort of supplementary things, collagen um, or powders that go into drinks, like all those Yeah, so it's things. basically trying to press pause on that addiction that I was talking about, yeah. that morning granola bar, that more, that all the constant snacking. So you put some MCT powder, you put some collagen in your coffee, you sp- or your tea, or your matcha, or wh- whatever you're having in the morning. Do that before you do anything. And then just see, all of a sudden, you can walk past the, uh, you know, you, you, you can walk past prep where they've got all the pastries out. Yeah. I mean, I was in Duns the other day in uh, Spain. I had to go and, because um, we, we rent out our villa, so I had to go and get some pots and pans. And I didn't have a euro for the trolley. And I'm stood there next to the cafe, and there's like 20 different, like, cinnamon rolls and everything. That is my idea of, I love cinnamon rolls. Love them. But because I'd, I'd had an MCT coffee, a, like a quite a strong one, I just walked past it and got a bottle of water. That is a miracle. Yeah. I'm a sugar addict. And me too. And I'm a cinnamon addict. And it was there. And I was waiting there for 15 minutes because they were all jabbering on and I couldn't understand what they were talking about. So I was bored as well. Normally I go, oh, sack it, I'll have one of them. And I didn't. I just walked past it. That is a miracle. Yeah. That's the pause button that so we're all asking working. for. Well, the, the way in which I would frame it then, if you are somebody who wants to feel better but you're a wee bit dissatisfied with how you feel and forget even about the physicality and sort of appearance, if you just don't feel great, then read the book you've got nothing to lose definitely or listen to it and then you'll definitely feel better with my terrible voice and if you don't like it and fuck off if you don't like it fuck off write a blog I won't read it (laughs) 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 private joke yeah Um, I I wanted to ask about this and it's a tough one and I think especially coming as a guy and it's something you don't particularly understand but the reason it's on my radar is a few years ago a pal of mine pal's wife kind of confided in us that she had experienced postnatal depression. Oh, yeah, it's brutal, yeah. So I was like, what the fuck? Like, what is that? Now, you ran the London Marathon in 2018 to raise money for Mind. Mm-hmm. How, how, do you do, how do you explain what, to, say to somebody like me, postnatal depression, I've got like an idea. You're like, okay, so it's after you have a baby, but there's more to okay, it. Okay, so if you, right, you know when you just described the beer fear earlier on? Well, it's like that times 10 without the beer, um, so it's like that empty, hollow feeling yeah. and an and underlying terror of anxiety on top of it. So since, um, I went through IVF with number one. And of course, uh, after that, that's when I really got into alcohol. 
um, because that's the only thing that boosted my feel-good hormone dopamine, which, of course, I was already low on because I've got ADHD. And then, then you have IVF and they pump you full of artificial hormones. And then, of course, you give birth and they all drop off mm. this side of a bridge. So you're left with nothing. You're, you're, it's, it's a bit like menopause. You're absolutely terrified and empty. And then you've got this baby who you, you, don't know, you can't bond with because you've got no oxytocin and you're terrified. I was shaking with anxiety because I, I, I thought, oh, my God, am I going to drop him? Or is the house going to burn down? It's like the cast catastrophizing all the time. So it's like that. So since I've been doing like all this research, I've since found out that women who have IVF are far more likely to have postnatal depression, but they don't tell you that when they take your seven grand off you. They don't mm -hmm. tell you that at all. But also I was given um, folic acid, which um, for someone like me, and this is 40% of the population, we have a, 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 a DNA snip. It's called the MTHFR gene. It looks like an anagram of motherfucker. But that, there is, 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 that MTHFR gene is paramount for all sorts of bodily functions. It's called your methylation system. Now then, if you give someone who's got a snip on their MTHFR gene folic acid, which is the synthetic form of folate, you are going to trigger real mind anxiety, yet it's in every single pregnant care there is. Mm -hmm. So they give you that while you're pregnant, and it actually makes your brain feel like you're really hungover, really anxious, hopeless, yet they're, they're forcing that on you. And they wanted to put it in bread as well, folic acid in bread, not folate. It's the cheap version of folate. So anyone who is going through pregnancy or anyone who does know about um, or has suffered from postnatal depression, just have a look your vitamins and make sure it's not got folic acid in. So it, it does, it feels like a, a terror. It feels like an eternal terror. And obviously time expands when you're depressed as well. So yeah. you don't see the end of it. But um, once I started hacking around this and I started understanding what was going on, I can see now again, we're all very sensitive to different th ingredients we put in our body. And we need to know this. The technology's out there, but the NHS haven't bought into it. They're still looking through medicine as, uh, through a 1970s lens, like the one-size-fits-all approach. Yeah. Put all the girls on the pill, put all the blokes on anti-cholesterol, and then there we go. Oh, yeah, we're all doing really well with that. Mm -hmm. We're doing great. Thanks, guys. We, the technology is there. It shouldn't just be reserved for the private sector because this is preventative health. I could have killed myself after. Yeah. I, I was, like, suicidal with fear. God knows how I came out of it because it was worse than a terror come down. But that's every single day you woke up and before you went to bed at night, you were just the dragging down. You could feel every hormone leaving you from the top of your head like a hot flush coming down. You know, like when you you hear bad news, that sinking feeling, yeah, that like that cold draining feeling. It was like that in waves constantly oh, throughout the day. And um, also you can you can tell if someone's got low dopamine just just as a, for someone to know if they've got high levels of prolactin. So if somebody wants to know about their dopamine levels, you can't test for dopamine. You have to have a look at the prolactin and that hormone will tell you if you're low on dopamine. Yeah. So I don't want to, it's funny like to read someone's words back to them, but it was like five years ago you said this, but I felt that this was a great representation. It helped me to understand, mm -hmm. but I think everything that you've said there and everything that's even related in the book that's been discussed, and I feel like this sums up in terms from the postnatal depression side. So you said, from the outside, I appeared like a woman with everything to be grateful for, yet on the inside, I was screaming underwater for answers to questions that I couldn't articulate. It's really profound. Mm -hmm. I felt dumbfounded, and mentally I was a prisoner on a merry-go-round of negative thinking and feelings of dread and failure. 
and you've said that your brain cancelled out any positive emotions. I have no idea why it hit me. There's no trauma in my life to pinpoint. This is a key point. It can happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. There's no trauma in my life to pinpoint. Maybe it's genetic, maybe it's hormonal, maybe both. But what I do know is my brain and my thought process were not mine to command and it nearly cost me my life. That's some intense, profound stuff. But it's, 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 it, you know it's like um, when something good happens, but your brain instantly scans for danger. It's yeah. like that. So you can't just cross the road with your kid to go get an ice cream or something joyous. You're going, there's a car coming, he's going to get hit. And you picture it happening. And it's like your brain, you cannot get out of that yeah. catastrophizing. And you're on high, high, high alert. And of course, with that, you're always exhausted. And there's, it's just, just hopeless. And And I think, you know, for me to understand that that was just a chemical imbalance is a bit of a freedom. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a case of putting antidepressants on it because I wasn't depressed. I had low other things going on. Yeah. I had toxins in my liver that wouldn't allow me to feel serotonin. So it, that that was a that just made me really overweight, the serotonin, and even more indifferent. So the trouble with SSRIs is they can give you adhedonia, which is an indifference to life. So you're, you're not going to kill yourself, but you're meh. You're yeah, not happy. You're not sad. You're just indifferent. If it so happens, what, so, it happens. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, but team that with high alert uh, uh, and it's awful yeah. it's awful but we can't we do have answers to it and if i got myself out of it i'm on no medication now at all mm -hmm. i don't need it because i've hacked my way around it most doctors would say to me You've, your diet's too high in fat it's too much saturated fat and i'd argue well i need the, all the hormones i can get thanks doctor you go yeah but you've got a high saturated fat diet it's bad for your heart so i've just run a marathon i'm 45 without blinking yeah. so no Bullshit. I call mm. bullshit on what they're saying out there, to be perfectly honest. So, I mean, all I, I would go head to head with anyone in an IQ test or a physical test. Anyone who's trying to push what the, what the NHS are doing to us right now. Mm. I would seriously take that on with anybody. Well, it's, it's definitely, I think, something for people to, to have a look at. Because obviously, my sort of, um, I'm preempting people saying no you shouldn't overrule medical advice i'm like no it's mm. absolutely not what i'm doing i'm not going down that sort of pseudo intellectual route of here if no. you forget medication try this but what i'm saying is for everything that you've described in the sort of things that exist in modern life that we're consuming without realizing it's always well the, the trouble is like the, the, di the dietitians are pushing a low saturated fat diet mm. we need it to create the hormones that make us feel happy, to make us make wise decisions, to make us go to the gym yeah. rather than go to the fridge. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's getting yeah. to the root cause. I mean, I think that a lot of doctors are now coming over to the to the root cause side of it because obviously treating the symptoms won't work long term. Yeah, this is the trouble. I mean, of course, if you've got flipping, uh, if, if if you've got glandular fever, you go to the doctor. But I think, there's a, I think there's something that needs to be said about making yourself feel instantly happier in the morning by having MCT in your coffee instead of flipping oat milk. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's pretty easy. Absolutely. That's step one. That's yeah, one step of like what could be a life-changing experience like what happened to me. That yeah. and a cold shower, you might just change your life. And trust me, no one's going to say that that's dangerous. Oh, they probably will. Cold shower's going to give you a heart attack. Oh, <laughs> oh, God. It's only like the past two generations that we've had hot water. So you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. It's um, it's been it's been an interesting chat. I've enjoyed the education as well. I'll be I'll be implementing some of these some of these things. I'll be checking in with you to see. I Don't know. believe you. Just check check my body fat levels. Get the calipers oh. out. <laughs> yeah. no, this has been great. Thanks very much for coming. I've really really enjoyed it. Me too. It's Thanks been great for fun. Me. I'm sure everybody listening has enjoyed it. I hope you have. And if you have, we'll be back next week with another episode of Blethered. Cheers. <laughs>